if porn is the Hollywood blockbuster movie, we are the real world documentary. And the important thing to say there is that we are not a competitor to porn. We are a counterpoint and a complement. We are the thing that this world badly needs that nobody else has ever created, a window onto the way we all have sex in the real world. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. I will live every day as if there were a microphone tucked under my tongue. It's great to get in the game, but don't get in the game until you understand the rules till you're an insider. Your life changes when you begin having a different conversation in your head. What we need to do in radically deep problems is propose radically visionary solutions. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement or a nation. Now, I want you to imagine for a second that you need to drive a hugely vital conversation. A conversation that would literally impact the physical, emotional, and mental well-being of every single person on the planet. And yet, here's the catch. You're not allowed to talk about it. The mere mention of this conversation has you barred from pretty much every platform. The basic mechanics of how you run this conversation, from marketing down to even how you accept payment from those who do want to join and support you, are not available. In essence, every single step you take, you have to fight to get the rules rewritten. Now, I've talked about many topics on this podcast, some I know well and can navigate with relative ease, and some where I felt completely out of my depth, like diving into the world of WWF fighting or going behind the scenes with an FBI hostage negotiator. And today's episode is the latter. Today, we are going to talk about disrupting the porn industry. Now, before I get started, I want to very clearly state that this conversation and this introduction gets into stories and explicit language about sex from this point onwards. I will leave it with you, as I always do, to decide whose ears should be listening. So now that's done, let's start with the obvious question. Why why are we talking about this topic at all? Well, to set the scene, here's a quick stat drop on the influence of the porn industry. According to a study done by the American Psychology Association, the average age of the first exposure to hardcore pornography was 13 years of age, with the youngest exposure nearly as early as five, and many between the ages of eight to 11 years old. That seems to be the sweet spot. The largest consumers of internet porn on the planet are 12 to 17-year-olds, which makes it the largest single source of sex education on the planet. Globally, porn is a $97 billion industry. Now, to give you some context here, to put that number into a picture, in 2019 alone, the equivalent of nearly 6,650 centuries of porn were consumed on just one of the world's largest porn sites. 6,650 centuries. So I think it's fair to say that this conversation, a conversation about where, when, how, and what information we receive about sex is not only incredibly influential, it's also unsurprisingly the conversation that we're generally the least willing to have. Unless, of course, you are my next guest. My guest today is Cindy Gallup. 
With over 30 years in brand building, marketing, and advertising, she is the founder and former chair of the U.S. branch of advertising firm Bartol Bogle and Hegarty. Having previously also been named both Advertising Woman of the Year and one of the most important marketing strategy thinkers today by Business Insider. She is also the founder of If We Ran the World and, as we're going to be discussing today, Make Love Not Porn. According to the TED blog, Gallup's 2009 TED talk, Make Love Not Porn, please search that out, which launched the entire Make Love Not Porn website, remains one of the events most ever talked about. Now, Make Love Not Porn itself is a social sex tech platform designed to promote good sexual behavior and values. Its ethos, as you are going to hear much more about today, is this, pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. In this conversation, Cindy and I dive straight into her journey with Make Love Not Porn, why it began and why she sincerely believes our values and stories around sex should be a national priority, how she approaches and handles herself as a leader in the multitude of moments where all the doors are being slammed shut in her face, the impact of the porn industry, the influence of the porn industry, and how two-dimensional and disconnected a conversation becomes inevitably when you exclude 50% of the participants. The concept of microactions, and I really want you to listen hard here, and why microactions and the getting of people to take microactions holds the key to any sustainable change or momentum, including her recommendation for the number one microaction we can all take today to completely change the trajectory of our lives. And finally, what she's learned about talking taboos and how much one moment can completely change your life. Now, we, we all have conversations in our lives and our careers and our teams and communities that feel untouchable, that feel like to shine a light in that particular dark corner would throw things so far, of course, that they or we may never recover. And what I'd love you to reflect on today is not just the topic and, and please do share and support Make Love Not Porn as far and as wide as you humanly can, but the smaller decisions that turn a tide. It's in today's case, the website, like you quickly throw up warts and all in a moment of inspired frustration. It's what you say in that small four minute window that you're given in front of the right people. It's the phone call you make maybe today that sets one wheel in motion. It's saying what you think and then allowing everybody else's reaction to just take place. Enough of those, and you can take on, as you're about to find out, even one of the most powerful and unmentionable industries on the planet. For a step-by-step -step guide to stepping up into your own influence, regardless of the conversation you're trying to drive, please don't forget to hop onto my website, juliemasters.com, and download the latest edition of my ebook, The Influencer Code. We worked super hard on it. It covers the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found hands down to be the most valuable when it comes to raising your own level of influence in any space, in any conversation. There should also be a link in the show notes. However, now it is time. Sit back, stretch out, drive safe, and enjoy my conversation with the utter powerhouse that is Cindy Gallup. Welcome to the podcast, Cindy Gallup. 
thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled, thrilled to have you. Just to kick off, I'm going to ask, I'm going to kick into a question that I'm asking at the beginning of the podcast at the moment. It's kind of my pet social project. So what idea is having a lot of impact on you at the moment? And the premise behind this being that people who do amazing influential things out there in the world usually find amazing influential ideas before most of us. So is there one particular idea that's really kind of sticking and buzzing around in your brain right now? This is um, inevitably extremely biased, but the idea that is stuck in my brain is the same idea that's been stuck in my brain for quite a long time, um, which is the fact that my startup, Make Love Not Porn, has the ability to end rape culture globally. And the reason I say that is because um, we can do that and are doing it by doing something incredibly simple that nevertheless nobody else is doing which is at Make Love Not Porn, we show you how wonderful, great, consensual, communicative sex is in the real world. Our social sex videos role model good sexual values and behavior, and we make all of that aspirational versus the rest of popular culture and porn. Well, that was the that is the most fantastic segue into exactly what I want to really drill in with you today on. So let's let's just go straight there. Um, I wanted to rewind back to two thousand and nine at the beginnings, and you standing on the stage at TED, and you're about to announce the launch of Make Love Not Porn, and I've watched that video; it's incredible. Was that something that you had always planned to do when you got the invitation from TED to speak on the main stage? Was it something that you thought, right, this is going to be the perfect moment? Um, No, absolutely not. Um, Everything in my life and career has happened by complete and total accident. I've never consciously, intentionally planned anything. So Make Love Not Porn itself was an accident, and me getting to speak about it at TED was an accident. How Make Love Not Porn started was 13, 14 years ago, um, me realizing through dating younger men, which is what I like to do, as somebody who has never wanted married, never wanted children, adores being single, cannot wait to die alone, and dates young men casually and recreationally for sex. So the men I date tend to be in their 20s. And I began realizing that I was encountering what happens when two things converge. And I stress the dual convergence because most people think it's only one thing. I realized I was experiencing what happens when today's total freedom of access to hardcore porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. When those two things converge, porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. So I found myself encountering a number of sexual behavioral memes in bed. I went, whoa, I know where that behavior is coming from. I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. I didn't know that because 13, 14 years ago, nobody was talking about this. Nobody was writing about it. This was me in isolation as a naturally action-oriented person going, I want to do something about this. So basically, um, 12 years ago, I decided to put up this tiny clunky website at makelovenotborn.com purely as a little side venture. as a kind of copy-only PSA, um, the construct was porn world versus real world. Here's what happens in the porn world. Here's what really happens in the real world. So I was working on that, and I've been going to TED for a number of years. And every year, TED um, sent out an invitation to attendees to apply to give short talks on the main stage, which Chris Anderson, the curator, described as 
palate cleansers in between the scheduled talks. So I applied to do one of these with Make Love Not Porn, um, quite frankly, half as a joke. You know, I just went, <laughs> love to see Chris Hansen's face when he sees this. And to give Chris, um, who's the curator of TED, full due, um, he immediately got back to me and said, Cindy, you know, this is obviously a really serious issue. I want you to do this talk. I just need to understand exactly what this website is going to feature. So I talked him through it, and we agreed that I would basically launch it and, and take the site live with, with my talk at TED in February 2009. And so, you know, um, that was so long ago that, you know, the funny thing for me now looking back is that was really before TED.com exploded globally. And so as far as I was concerned... I was only talking to the people in the room mm. at the time. You know, I had no thought that the talk would kind of live on um, all these years later and, and spread. Um, and, um, you know, equally, I had no idea that the entire world was going to respond because, you know, following that talk, thousands of people wrote to me from every single country in the world. Um, Young and old, men and female, straight and gay, pouring their hearts out, you know, um, telling me things about their sex lives and their porn-watching habits and never told anybody else. And I realized I'd uncovered a huge global social issue. And so that was the point at which I went, oh, my God, I now have a personal responsibility. I have to take Make Love Not Porn forwards in a way that will make it much more far-reaching helpful and effective. And that's when I decided to turn it into a business and turn it into make love, not TV. So everything was a total accident. And knowing what you'd known, because I didn't realize that, I didn't realize that at that point in time, Ted wasn't, I mean, of course, looking at it, of course, that's true. But knowing what you know now and knowing that I think that talk became, I mean, from what I've read, the talk became the most talked about talk on the TED, on the TED stage. Would you have done it differently? Would you, is there anything you would have done differently knowing what you know now? Um, no, not at all. Um, because, you know, I was just um, doing what I do, which is I was living and working my values. And so let's just go back to basics for a second. What is the premise behind Make Love Not Porn and, and how does it work? It's extremely simple. Um, Make Love Not Porn is not anti-porn because the issue isn't porn. The issue is, is that we don't talk about sex in the real world. If we did, amongst a whole host of other benefits, people would then be able to bring a real-world mindset to the viewing of what is simply performative produced entertainment. So Make Love Not Porn's mission is one very simple thing, to make it easier for every single person in the world to talk openly and honestly about sex. And... In order to facilitate that, um, I decided, therefore, to take every dynamic in social media and apply them to this one area no other social network or platform will go in order to socialize sex and to make real-world sex and talking about it socially acceptable and therefore ultimately just as socially shareable as anything else we share on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. And so nine years ago now, um, my tiny team and I launched makelovenotporn.tv, which is an entirely 
user-generated, crowdsourced video sharing platform that celebrates real-world sex. So anybody from anywhere in the world can submit to us videos of themselves having real-world sex, but we are very clear what we mean by this. We are not porn. We are not amateur. We are building a whole new category on the internet that has never before existed, social sex. So our competition isn't porn, it's Facebook and YouTube, or rather it would be if Facebook and YouTube allowed you to socially, sexually self-express, which they obviously don't. So social sex videos on Make Love Not Porn are not about performing for the camera. They're just about doing what we already do on every other social platform in every other area of life, which is capture what goes on in the real world as it happens spontaneously in all its funny, messy, glorious, silly, beautiful, wonderful, ridiculous humanness. We curate to make sure of that. I designed Make Love Not Porn around human curation. Very important. Our curators watch every single video submitted from beginning to end. We do not publish it unless it's real. And we have a revenue sharing business model, which I designed to democratize access to income. Our members pay to subscribe, rent and stream social sex videos. Half the income goes to our contributors, whom we call our Make Love Not Porn stars. And so we describe ourselves as the social sex revolution. The revolutionary part is not the sex, it's the social so many questions at the moment. Let's just start with the curation piece because I want to get into, I want to go further into why, why this is necessary because for, for anybody out there that's listening and going, you know, porn is, porn is fantasy. Porn is, what's, what's so wrong with porn? I want, I want to just go into the curation part for a second. When these human beings are watching the videos, they're obviously watching for something in particular that makes this a video that you would want on Make Love Not Porn. What are the criteria? Sure. Um, so let me answer that question holistically. Um, putting that in the, in the context of the tech landscape as a whole, the young white male founders of the giant tech platforms that dominate our lives today are not the primary targets online and offline of harassment, abuse, racism, sexual assault, violence, rape, revenge porn. Therefore, they did not and they do not proactively design for the prevention of any of those things on their platforms. Those of us who are most at risk every single day, women, black people, people of color, LGBTQ, the disabled, we design safe spaces and safe experiences. I and my team spent literally years concepting and designing Make Love Not Porn before we ever built it, because we knew if we are going to invite people to do something they've never done before, socially share their real-world sex, we had to think through every possible ramification of that to create a completely safe and trustworthy space. And so when you are very clear what you want to build, um, that starts even further back than the platform itself. So we are very clear exactly what Make Love Not Porn is designed to showcase in not just our FAQs on the platform, but across all our social media channels. Um, in every media interview, we make it very clear what kind of content we want on Make Love Not Porn, and therefore that is the kind of content we get. If porn is the Hollywood blockbuster movie, 
We are the real world documentary. And the important thing to say there is that we are not a competitor to porn. We are a counterpoint and a complement. We are the thing that this world badly needs that nobody else has ever created, a window onto the way we all have sex in the real world. People like movies, people like documentaries. You know, you might be in the mood for a movie one time, you might be in the mood for a documentary another time. People watch movies and documentaries. So our curators watch every single video submitted from beginning to end um, before we approve it or reject it and publish it. Nobody else anywhere else on the internet does that. And that is why Make Love Not Porn is a platform where you will find nothing but love. I just think that's such a, a fascinating lens into responsibility because what you're, what you're talking about there is not applying algorithms to check things, not, um, you know, tweaking things and hoping that it, that it comes out in the wash. What you're saying is that there are some topics that are too important and that they require human oversight. They require extreme levels of self-responsibility. If you are going to guide a generation, a planet on a topic that literally has the kind of output that this topic has. Absolutely, Julie. And bear in mind, I and my tiny team fight a huge battle every single day to keep Make Love Not Porn alive, let alone build our business. Basically, because every piece of business infrastructure, other tech startups take for granted, we can't, the small print always says no adult content. Equally, we fight a huge battle to find funding. Our biggest obstacle um, uh, finding investors is the social dynamic I call fear of what other people will think. Um, we are tiny with bootstrapping, but I designed Make Love Not Porn around human curation from the get-go. If we can do all of this, review all our content through human eyes, as a tiny bootstrapping startup, imagine how much easier it is for Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, with the vast billions of dollars they have at their disposal. I just, as the counter, just to go counter argument to that for a second, I'm just, I'm assuming that the, the counter argument here is scale, which is that there would be a ceiling on the scale that you're able to reach. I mean, I think YouTube has 5 billion hours worth of video uploaded every single day. Talk to me about that. Is that just an excuse? Sure. Um, yep, no. Um, yep, uh, yep, because I designed Make Love Not Porn to be eminently scalable. My vision is for Make Love Not Porn to be the Facebook of social sex worldwide. I designed Make Love Not Porn to be a billion-dollar venture. Uh, and by the way, um, the reason I did that, Julie, was, um, you know, to, um, uh, I believe the future of business is doing good and making money simultaneously. Um, and so I absolutely designed, you know, Make Love Not Porn um, to be a business in that context. But but I also designed it because I saw the opportunity, you know, back in 2009 when the entire world responded to my TED Talk for a big business solution to this huge untapped global need. And I use the word big advisedly because even then, 12 years ago at concept stage, I knew if I wanted to counter the global impact of corners default sex ed, I would have to come up with something that at least had the potential one day to be just as mass just as mainstream and just as all pervasive in our society as porn currently is. And so the solution there is to build a force of people around the globe that are helping to curate and keep this a values driven service. Uh, you know, 
the vast majority of our contributors, our Make Love Not Porn stars, had never, ever filmed themselves doing anything sexual before ever. They are doing it for us because they believe in our social mission. Uh, and by the way, evidence of, of you know, um, how much we've created a safe space is that with our straight couple, Make Love Not Porn stars, we find it's often the woman who's decided she wants to do this and has persuaded the man to. And that, that speaks a lot to the, the energy of what you've created and the safety of what you've created, because for women, obviously emotional and, and physical safety is more of a priority just by nature of gender. Absolutely. But, but, but also, you know, um, you know, the reason it was so critical to make this a safe space was because, as I said, um, what this world is missing is what Make Love Not Porn uniquely offers, um, the ability to see what everybody else is really doing in bed, and through that, um, to be able to change your own sexual attitudes and behavior for the better. So I designed Make Love Not Porn as a video sharing platform because the number one use case for YouTube globally is how-to videos. It far outstrips YouTube's second biggest use case, which is entertainment. First and foremost, people go to YouTube all around the world to watch how-to videos on how to do anything and everything. I designed Make Love Not Porn to be the global go-to hub for how-to videos on anything and everything to do with real-world sex. We are literally education through real-world demonstration. And, you know, in order to be able to, you know, create this, you know, incredibly unique window onto how the entire world has real-world sex, we absolutely have to make it um, completely safe so that anybody and everybody um, wants to share their real-world sex. And the social benefits that accrue are simply enormous. So, for example, social sex videos on Make Love Not Porn are enormously reassuring because we celebrate real-world everything. Real-world bodies, real-world hair, real-world penis size, real-world breast size. And the reason that's so crucial is because you can talk body positivity all you like. You can preach self-love till you're blue in the face. Nothing makes people feel great about their own body like seeing people who are nobody's idea of aspirational body types getting turned on by each other, desiring each other, having a bloody amazing time in bed. We are the antidote to the fact that all around us in popular culture, everybody is being told every day that to be thought remotely sexually attractive, you've got to be this skinny. You've got to have six-pack abs. You've got to look like this. A man wrote, which again is interesting and, and shouldn't be, shouldn't be so interesting that these testimonials are coming from men, but porn has predominantly been a very masculine driven force in the world, which is what makes that interesting. Um, he wrote, the sex in that video was incidental. I want what you guys have. I saw the way you looked at each other, the way your eyes met, and I hope one day I can meet someone that I will have that with. And that just, you know, you don't get that kind of feedback from porn or maybe maybe you do from from teenage boys but no you don't because because at make love not porn we celebrate real world emotion love intimacy feelings and the thing about that julie is um all around us in popular culture um we see endless creative narratives and expressions of relationships but we never see the actual sex 
at Make Love Not Porn, you see the sex, but you also see the relationships. Because in our videos, the two things are indivisible. And when I say that, I don't mean just you see the relationship dynamics between couples or threesomes. Um, I also mean that about you see the relationships people have with themselves as sexual beings in our solo masturbation videos. And, and to your point about um, men, you're right. We, we probably get more emails and comments from men than women because we, to men, we are especially a revelation. And that's because I wish society understood the opposite of what it thinks is true. Women enjoy sex just as much as men, and men are just as romantic as women. Yet neither gender is allowed to openly celebrate that fact, and we'd all be a whole lot better off if they were. And so men are blown away by the ability to watch you know, other men be making themselves openly vulnerable. How did we, how did we get here? That question, you know, the, the more I, I looked into this, the more I checked out Make Love Not Porn, keep coming back to this central question. How, how did we get here? How did something so fundamental to our health as individuals, as couples, as families, to the, to the very creation of, of mankind from day dot, how did we get to such an unhealthy place with this? So I, I'm asked this question all the time, you know, so Cindy, you know, why do you think we're so repressed about sex? And I'm asked it so often, I now have my answer down pat. Three reasons. Number one, centuries of repression, religion, social cultural dynamics in every single country in the world, what we're talking about is, is a global issue. Number two, the patriarchy. Because historically, every single institution, including government, and religion has been male-dominated. We as women have never been allowed to bring our lens to bear on human sexuality, and the world is a poorer place for it. And reason number three, very straightforwardly, is that there are not enough people like me. And what I mean by that is the world makes it unbelievably difficult to innovate and disrupt social narratives around sex. We need many more people like me who will not give up no matter how much the tech business and finance world try to shut Make Love Not Porn down every single day by putting every obstacle they can think of in our path. And by the way, many other people have tried all sorts of ventures and given up. And I completely understand why. Because, you know, when you are a sex tech founder, your life is shit on a daily basis. Why? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you there for a second because I don't want to go past that point. Why is that? Because that's a very strong statement there. What is it that makes it so? Every piece of business infrastructure, other tech startups take for granted. We can't because the small print always says no adult content. It took me four years to find one bank here in America that would allow me to open a business bank account for Make Love Not Porn. Um, my single biggest operational challenge is payments. PayPal won't work with adult content. Stripe can't. Um, Stripe is how um, most platforms take credit cards on the internet. Mainstream credit card processors um, won't process payments for us. We are relegated to um, dodgy processors that are willing to process adult content payments. And because anybody working with adult content has nowhere else to go, their rates are extortionate. I pay out 12% of our revenue every month. Um, in payment processing fees, um, as compared to um, 2.5, which is the standard 2.9% uh, that everybody else gets to. Um, 
every single tech service I need to use to operate my video streaming platform, be it hosting, encoding, encrypting, the terms of service always say no adult content. In every single case, I have to go to the people at the top of the company, explain what I'm doing, beg to be allowed to use their service. Sometimes they let me, sometimes they don't. It's a very labor-intensive process. We had to build our entire video streaming platform from scratch ourselves as proprietary technology that other businesses don't even have to think about to operate is a problem for us on a daily basis. I want to just talk about I want to just talk about you for a second because you know there's a you behind this business. There's a you that started this business. What what have you learnt? I mean, what you're talking about here is is takes a lot of resilience, right? Takes a lot of resilience, a lot of ferocity to get through. What have you learnt about tackling something as taboo as sex and actually creating some momentum? A couple of things. First of all, I've learnt that the single thing that most motivates me is the dynamic that I characterize as I'm going to fucking well show you. You tell me it can't be done, I'm going to fucking well show you. You put an optimal path, I'm going to fucking well show you. And that's just as well because I have an awful lot of I'm going to fucking well show you moments. The second thing is that, you know, I am doing what I tell other entrepreneurs to do, which is when you have a truly world-changing startup, you have to change the world to fit it, not the other way around. So Make Love Not Porn is what forced me to get into the Steve Jobs business of reality distortion. Because if reality tells me that I cannot grow Make Love Not Porn the way I want to, I'm going to change reality. Do you, do you have days where you just think, I'm, I'm, I'm really having to force myself to come at this fight again because I'm feeling a bit battle weary right now? Absolutely, all the time. And what keeps me going is the fact that every day our members write to us and make love, not porn. Every day people leave comments in our videos that say, you changed my life. You changed our lives. Um, and I, when, I was doing, when I was doing my research to, to come and talk to you today, I actually I texted a friend of mine who's she's an incredible woman. She's an incredible mother. And she has two, I think her boys are, are seven and nine. And the last time I visited her house, she took me kind of like in the, in the den area. And she said, you know, there's some videotapes in there. Um, I've put them away. She said, but I just want you to know that they're there. Um, it's their sex tapes. And, you know, there's my five-year-old daughter running around and I'm, I'm kind of looking at her going, is, is this a party that I didn't know that I was, that I was coming to? And she said, no, I've, I've got them here because I found out that you know, young boys come across hardcore porn at the age of eight now on average. And I felt it was really important to have some alternative at home that my, my sons could access. Um, fan bloody tastic. That is exactly the right thing to do. We, um, we get parents all the time contacting us saying they've bought subscriptions to make love, not porn for their teenage and 20 something children, because they want them to see what happy, healthy, loving sexual relationships look like. What? I mean, again, so many questions. You've, you've got over 20 years experience. You're advertising woman of the year, working, you know, in, in branding, advertising, impact awareness. What did you, let's start with what you had to unlearn. Is there anything you had to unlearn to get this off the ground and get this, you know, momentum behind this idea? Um, no, because honestly, my 
36 years working in advertising, brand building and marketing, absolutely fed into building the Make Love Not Porn brand and everything about the way that I've positioned and communicated and marketed it since. The enormous benefit of a lifelong career in advertising is that I am Ms. Soundbite. Do you have any guidance there for anybody? I mean, that's a skill, right? That's a skill that's honed up for years and years. If someone sat there with a blank page going, I need to be able to synthesize this idea in a way that's going to capture people's attention. Is there any kind of practical guidance as to how to do that? The way I coach people on this is um, I recommend they undertake this exercise for themselves. And the reason for that um, is because everybody needs to identify what I call your default throwaway descriptor. Every one of us has a default throwaway descriptor. Your personal default throw descriptor is what happens when somewhere two people meet. It might be at a conference, an event, at a cocktail party, and these two people are talking. One of them knows you and the other one doesn't. So the person who knows you references you, you know, blah, blah, Julie, you know, and the other person goes, oh, Julie, who's that? And the first person goes, oh, you know, Julie, she bleh. Your personal default throw descriptor is how somebody sums you up very quickly when you are not in the room. We all have one, and it therefore behoves us to make sure that our personal default throw descriptor is what we would like it to be. Um, the same thing applies to a business. You need to identify what your business's default thrower descriptor is because you basically want your customers, your clients, you know, whoever you're selling to, to go, oh, yeah, we need to get those guys because they bleh. I want to just pull this together for a second and, and talk about how, you know, the impact of what you're doing here. Because for anyone who's wondering, you know, why are we, why are we talking about porn on a podcast that's about influence? You, I mean, there are so many reasons why, you also believe that this conversation about sexual values should take place at a national level. Why, why is that? My overarching goal with all of this, um, you know, when I say that Make Love Not Porn's mission is this very simple thing, make it easy to talk about sex, because we don't do that currently, people don't get how massively, profoundly society transformative that would be. And what I mean by that is I designed Make Love Not Porn around my own beliefs and philosophies, one of which is that everything in life starts with you and your values. So I regularly ask people this question, what are your sexual values? And nobody can ever answer me because we're not taught to think like that. Our parents bring us up to have good manners, a work ethic, sense of responsibility, accountability. Nobody ever brings us up to behave well in bed. But they should, because in bed, values like empathy, sensitivity, generosity, kindness, honesty, respect, are as important as those values are in every other area of our lives where we're actively taught to exercise them. And so this is my vision of a world in which Make Love Not Porn achieves its social mission at scale. And this is enormously relevant um, to where you are right now, as you all know. Um, when we are funded to be the Facebook of social sex, and by the way, this is precisely why governments should be funding us, parents will bring their children up openly to have good sexual values and good sexual behavior in the same way that parents currently bring kids up to have good values of behavior in every other area of life, we will therefore cease to bring up rapists. Because the only way that you end rape culture 
and by the way, this really is the only way, is by embedding in society and openly talked about, understood, operated, um, and very importantly, aspired to gold standard of what constitutes good sexual values and good sexual behavior. When we do that, we also end Me Too. We end sexual harassment, abuse, violence, all areas where the perpetrators currently rely on the fact that we do not talk about sex to ensure victims will never speak up, never go to authorities, never tell anybody. When we end that, we massively empower women and girls worldwide. When we do that, we create a far happier world for everybody, including men. And when we do that, we are one step closer to world peace. I talk about make love not porn as my attempt to bring about world peace, and I'm not joking. And so obviously, what I'm talking about now could not be more relevant in an Australian context, as you and all your listeners know. And every nation in the world um, needs to address this openly. There's there's so much in there around, you know, the conversations that we're not having, but that are being had in our absence, but by the very fact that they're absent, as you said, you know, different countries have different ways we approach sex, different ways we talk about sex, different language around it. You know, these conversations are happening. We're just not having them openly. And, and one of the things you, you mentioned in an article that I read was, you know, there are, there are lots of thoughtful, nuanced, insightful think pieces about consent, but here's the problem. Nobody knows what consent actually looks like. And that struck me mainly because in Australia, probably only a few weeks ago, there was a national campaign cost millions of dollars funded by the government to talk oh about consent. What yes. What a mess. Excruciating. So for anybody who hasn't seen it, you you, you feel free oh to Google God, it. Don't, don't even get me started. <laughs> Oh and God. they tried to they tried to explain consent. This was targeted at younger younger individuals, and they tried to com- explain consent through the metaphor of a milkshake and tacos. And again, this fundamental concept of what does consent look like? I've heard it try to be explained via "Would you like a cup of tea?" That's a very British way of trying to explain it. How do we not have a language, a simple, referenceable, agreed upon language for what consent is? Because, because because it starts far further back than that. It starts with good sexual values and good sexual behavior. And that is why um, make love not porn is the only solution. Because, you know, um, as you said, quoting me, um, Julie, the point I make is, you know, um, it's all very well talking about consent. It's all very well writing about consent. Lots of thoughtful, nuanced, insightful think pieces out there about consent. The fundamental problem is nobody knows what consent actually looks like in bed. The only way you educate people as to what is great consensual communicative sex, good sexual values and good sexual behavior is by watching people actually having that kind of sex. Mm, That's a huge, there's a huge need I mean, I can speak for my country and I've lived, you know, I've lived in many. Um, I just want to move sideways for a second because, you know, you, you have always maintained that your startups are manifestations of your own values and beliefs about the new world order of business. And you've mentioned, you know, porn industries like porn, music, publishing, journalism are all, have all become victims to kind of this old world order. How do you, how do you define that? Um, Well, um, um, you're referencing Um, something very specific that I point out um, uh, in the context, um, often, um, you know, um, journalists will call me up and say, Cindy, 
I'm writing also about porn. Do you feel that porn objectifies women? And my, I'll respond that I think that any industry dominated by men at the top inevitably produces output and product that is objectionable, objectifying, and offensive to women. And I will point them to the commercial advertising breaks in the Super Bowl. Because my own industry advertising is totally dominated at the top by men, despite the fact that we as women are the primary target for advertising and we are played back to ourselves all the time through the male gaze. So the point I make is that the day we have a porn industry that is 50-50 equally led, managed, informed, influenced, and driven by women as much as by men, that therefore targets 50% of its output equally at women as much as at men, as opposed to currently mistakenly thinking men are the only audience, and that therefore very importantly makes 50% of its money out of women just as much as out of men, is the day we have porn and a porn industry that looks completely different. More innovative, more creative, more disruptive, way more lucrative, and the same is true of every other industry. Talk to me, talk to me about micro actions, because it's one of the things that you talk about that I found to be immensely applicable because what you're talking about, you know, patriarchy and, you know, global business that can, to some people, a lot of people, myself included, can often feel like that mountain just feels too huge. I I don't even know how I would begin to push that mountain, but you talk about micro actions. And when you talk about that, I was like, aha, now I can do that that I can put into play. What are they? Absolutely. So um, I believe that change happens from the bottom up, not the top down. Every one of us, every day, taking micro actions. And micro actions are incredibly small, simple, easy to do things. So easy to do, why don't you do them? Every one of us taking micro actions every single day to change what we want to see change cumulatively adds up at scale to enormous impact. Every one of us can change the world in tiny, tiny ways every single day. One of the most important ones that you talked about before is um, say what you think, which actually kind of just hit me sideways because I, I didn't think that that would be a micro action. It seems so, seems so simple. And yet when you think about it, it happens so infrequently. Why is say what you think such an important one? Because we don't. And we get very used to not saying what we think. And so... As you say, this is the micro-action where I say to everybody, you need no talent, no skills, no experience to do this, but it's the single micro-action that will most change your life and career going forwards. Because also, also, it's often when you, you say what you think, and I make the point, no, really, say what you really think. It's when you start saying what you really think is when you find out what you really think. When you feel free to articulate what you're really thinking and feeling is when you start recognizing those thoughts and feelings as being what you really think and feel. Um, And so saying what you think is transformative. Was there a flip point for you in your career where that changed or have you always felt that way? Have you always been able to do that? Um, No. I mean, you know, um, 61 years of life, basically. I just like to shortcut that process for everybody else. How has how is Make Love Not Porn evolved over the past 10 years? Because a, lot a lot's changed in that time. Are there any fundamental things that, you, that you've watched and you've, you know, that's really taken us to the next level? Um, do you know, it hasn't changed because I saw the future. And 
you know, I'm going to give myself the credit here because nobody else will. Um, we still struggle for investors and funding. But, you know, um, you could argue that I'm too visionary for my own good. But I saw the huge opportunity for a platform that was a window onto how we all really have sex in the real world. And nothing about the power and the appeal of that vision has changed. Um, in fact, if anything, it's just more relevant with every passing year. And, you know, a demonstration of how badly the world needs make love not porn and why it is positively criminal that investors and governments are not funding a venture that has the ability to end rape culture is that every single day, people all around the world search for us without knowing that we exist. Because the top search terms that drive traffic to make love, not porn, organically, are make love, not porn, real sex, not porn, make love, not porn, where people don't know there's a business actually called that. One young man told me that he found us when he Googled porn that is not porn. He was so fed up with everything out there. He wanted something different. He had no idea how to search for it. He Googled porn that is not porn. And when you do that, you find Make Love Not Porn. The world is desperate for what we provide. The world is literally crying out for it. People need it and they know they need it and they are searching for it. And that's my enormous frustration. With funding and investors, I can deliver against that global need. Without, without them, because of all the other barriers in my way, I can't. But um, nothing's changed because I saw the future and I saw what the world needed. And everything I conceived 12 years ago is more relevant than ever today. What do you, what do you see it looking like in another 10 years? I mean, let's, there's probably two future pictures here. One is you get funding and you take this where you can see it needs to go. And the one obviously, you know, there's probably another pathway there that, that that doesn't happen. But let's say that you get the funding and you take it where you want it to go. What does it look like in 10 years? When we achieve our mission of being the Facebook of social sex globally at that scale, nobody ever again will have to be worried or ashamed about a naked photograph or a sex tape of themselves published on the internet because it'll just be a natural human mm. part of who you all are. It speaks to something that that's so hard to imagine at the moment. If there's one if there's one thing, one piece of advice or one piece of guidance that you could give somebody who is sat out there in the world today looking at something that is broken and thinking, I really need to fix this, I just don't know where to start, what's the one piece of guidance you'd give them? Um, the only person who can make things happen for you is you. Just start. Just begin. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time, Cindy. It's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and have seized hold of at least one tool, idea or mindset that will help you start raising your own level of influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your journey or would just love a roadmap to becoming the most influential voice, idea or brand in your space, then I have good news. 
you can now download the latest updated version of my ebook, The Influencer Code, from my website, juliemasters.com. Also, there's a link in the show notes. Just pop in your email address, and I promise I will not spam you, but it is jam-packed full of ideas, tools, and case studies that I have come across in my now 20-plus years of doing this work, not to mention the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found to be hands-down the most valuable when it comes to immediately lifting your ability to make an impact. Download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope it makes a massive difference in both your career and your business. Thank you always to my co-founder and the main brain behind this podcast, Lauren Kelly. You kick my butt in all the right ways. Thank you for making it happen. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode.